0: Uh, Welcome back to everybody. It's really a pleasure to have the opportunity to learn together once again. Uh, The summertime in our shul is a time of growth where we have so many shiurim and so many opportunities to learn. Um, The brochures are actually on the bima if anyone's interested. Really plenty of opportunities for all of us. Like everyone else in our community, my life is pretty busy and pretty active, like all of yours, with a constant barrage of Phone calls and emails and WhatsApps and text messages, overloaded with responsibilities, endless obligations, communal commitments, simchas that we go to, all the different things that we do as a community. But we all need to identify, we all need to find those moments in our lives when we have the opportunity to have a little bit of quiet, to break from our regular routine and stop whatever it is that we're doing and zoom out the lens just a little bit and give ourselves the chance to focus just a little bit on our most basic values, on the things that are most important to us. and the summertime, when our schedules are often a little bit lighter than they are during the year, when things are a little bit calmer, when many people's work schedules look different than they do during the year, when we have less Simcha commitments, when maybe in some of our homes some of our kids are out in camp, We need to take advantage of this time. We need to take advantage and allow ourselves to think. Allow ourselves to have some space to think a little bit about the things that are most important to us in our own lives. And I say it every year, I just spent 10 days in Camp Simcha, which members of this community always make fun of me that that is my vacation. To be honest, it's not such a vacation, it's pretty intense. But it is a vacation because it allows me to stop my regular routine and once again have an opportunity to gain perspective and to gain clarity on the things that are most important in all of our lives and the things that really should be focused on that maybe sometimes are overlooked. So I spent time with a group of kids who are all young, I guess that's the way to say it. They are all people who are being challenged. Nisionos are not limited to those kids who are there. Everybody has Nisionos. And Nisionos can look very different. Everybody has their own challenges. Some people are struggling with health issues. Other people are struggling with a lack of nachas from their children. Some people are struggling with the fact that they cannot have children. Some people are struggling with the fact that they cannot even get married to try to have children. We have many, many different kinds of challenges. I only listed a few. But every individual person in their own way has nacionos. And when I'm in Kansimcha, Simcha, I spend time speaking to the kids, addressing some of their very legitimate but tormenting questions that they have. You know, one of the girls asked me, how am I supposed to know how to interpret the messages of HaKadosh Baruch What's he trying to tell me? Now, I wish I was a Navi. I wish we had an Evim. That's what they are for. And it's very difficult, to be honest. I find it very, very troubling because, in essence, when you think just a few weeks ago in the Parsha, Bilam HaRasha was punished because he did not internalize, he didn't understand the message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was trying to send him. Bilam is on his way to curse the Jewish people. And as he's going, HaKadosh Baruch Hu clearly sends him one message after the other, after the other. And he misses it. And he doesn't understand that the message is intended to tell him to turn around and abort the mission. So sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us a message and his plan is we should turn around and stop what we're doing. On the other hand, Avram Avinu is on his way to do the Akedah, a tremendous Nisayon for him. And on his way, he notices that there was a river. Now Avram Avinu didn't have a boat and he didn't know how he was going to get to the other side. And he begins to think to himself, what does this mean? What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu trying to teach me? Is he trying to say that I should stop where I'm going, turn around and go back home and abort the mission? Or is he trying to put an obstacle in my way and see if I can keep going? And to see if I'm willing to go ahead with the plan, even with this obstacle in the way. And that's a very troubling question. How do we know how we're supposed to interpret different signs that we get minah shamayim. How do we know how to understand them? What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu trying to teach us? It's not so simple. In fact, the Chafetz Chaim, it's said over in the biography of the Chafetz Chaim, that as he was in the middle of writing this amazing compilation called the Bura, which has changed the halakhic landscape forever, as he was in the middle of this tremendous undertaking, this project, at some point, his son passed away. Now, it's hard to say his favorite son, but it seems to be it was his favorite son, his most promising child. And he really was devastated by this loss. Of course, any parent would be devastated by the loss of any child, but especially if he had such a close connection and bond to his son. And the Chafetz Chaim was vacillating on his own to try to figure out, is the message that HaKadosh Baruch is sending me, trying to tell me that I should stop what I'm doing, and the Mishnaburah is not a worthy cause, and we have enough svarim without your Mishnah Bureh and we'll be fine without your contribution? Or is he trying to send me something along the way to see whether I'm willing to go ahead with the plan, even despite this obstacle? The Chafetz Chaim in the end came to the conclusion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants him to go ahead with the plan, and he wants him to push forward. But again, this is a very complicated discussion of how does a person know, how they're supposed to interpret the simanim min ha-shamayim. Now, it's nobody's job to tell another person how they should interpret Simanim min Hashamayim. There was another girl who asked me, how am I supposed to know when HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends me an Isayon, when I have Yisurim, how do I know whether that's me or whether I'm just a Gilgal of somebody else and really I'm just doing something for a previous life that somebody else lived? Interesting question, especially from a 15-year-old. And I told her, it's interesting, the Gemara has no mention of Gilgulim. The Gemara does not talk about the concept. It's a popular concept today, but the Gemara has no mention of it at all. In fact, the Gemara writes, what happens when a person sees that they have been inflicted by yesurim? The Gemara doesn't describe what they are, but the Gemara says, let's say a person sees that they have terrible yesurim. So the Gemara says, first, you have to do a chesh on First, you have to think what it is that I can change in my life. Then the Gemara says, if I look through my life and I see... Everything seems to be okay. It doesn't mean that I never did an Avera. All of us do things wrong. But I look through my life and I don't see anything that's so glaringly obvious that should be the cause or the reason for any of this or the justification. So then the Gemara says you should assume it's this or you should assume it's that. And finally, the ultimate bottom line of the Gemara is if none of those are compatible to your life, it must be the conclusion that you have to draw is it's Yisurim Shalahava. It must be that HaKadosh Baruch who loves you. Now, I told this girl, I'm happy not to be loved in this way. Any of us would say, I'm much happier without this wonderful kiss of the Ribon Shalolam. But we're not given that choice. There was a girl, a Chabad, young woman in the room who said, yes, we are given the choice because my neshama, before I came down, I don't know, it was getting too complicated. But the bottom line is, the Gemara does not say in that whole description of what somebody should do when they're struggling with some kind of nisayon, The Gemara doesn't say, oh, just assume that it's a Gilgal. Just assume it's somebody else. That would be a very meaningless life. To live through all of life saying, oh, I'm just a Gilgal of somebody else and therefore I have no mission, I have no purpose, there's no reason for me to do anything because I'm just really an incarnation, a reincarnation of someone else. That's not an option the Gemara gives. It is a concept that we're familiar with, but that wouldn't be something that would be an appropriate way to handle a Nisayon. I think the most powerful question I got was a young woman. I mentioned it on Shabbos. She's now 22 years old, really has a very, very difficult condition. She was totally healthy until she went to seminary in Israel. And then she was diagnosed, and she has a very, very difficult prognosis. And she said to me, you know, have you ever learned through Shira Shiram? I said, yes. So she said, you know, that the description in Shira Shiram of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one of a marriage Of a spouse? I said, yes. So she says, I'm just wondering, why do I have such an abusive spouse? And then she said, You know, there are organizations in our communities that deal with abusive spouses that help get people out of those relationships. Who can I go to to get me out of this? Where can I turn? Who can I speak to? And it was obviously a question from a lot of pain, but a question that needs to be addressed, a real question. So people go through Nisionos, and they have different attitudes of how they deal with an Nisayon. You know, at the same time that this was happening, that was on a Shabbos afternoon, there was another girl who was 15 years old who had a chemo treatment in the morning, and then somebody decided to take her to the Shabbos meal, which probably was not a great idea, And she ate the Shabbos meal and then vomited everything because of her chemo, which could have told them that was going to happen. And then she came to me at 5 o'clock on Shabbos afternoon when the canteen was open, and she said, Rabbi, I have a question. Do I still need to wait six hours even though I vomited everything that I ate by the meal? Am I still fleshics? So different people deal with things differently. So that's why I thought to talk a little bit about nisionos. Everybody has Nesionos. Human experience is filled with challenges. It's filled with obstacles and complications. But everybody has an isayon in their own way. And we should never compare Nesionos and say, this is harder than that. You know, I, I never like when people say, at least I have this and not something else. How Baruch Hu decides what people's life experience is going to look like. So the Ramchal, Ram Moshe Chaim in the Mesiel HaSisharim, writes, a very insightful a very insightful mashal to understand what our life experience is like. And he says that back in the 16th century, they used to have big, big gardens that were connected to the palaces of the royalty back then. And he says that it was a game they used to have, that they had a gan mevucha. A gan mavucha means like a corn maze, what we would call today a corn maze. And they used to have these hedges in a huge open space and they would all be able to be navigated. And people used to come as an activity to enjoy this activity. Now he says there are many different paths and many different trails and some of them just turn you around in a circle and you keep spinning around and going back to the place where you started. And some of them are very misleading and confusing, but there is a path if you do it enough times, there is a path that leads you straight to the goal, that leads you straight to where you need to get to. Now the problem is when I start out on this maze, I don't know which path that's going to be. I look in front of me and I see that there are six or seven different options to choose from. How am I supposed to know which way to go? And the only way to know is if there's somebody standing on the other side that's able to tell me, here, I'm at the end, this is the way to go. That's the only way for me to know in advance how to go through this maze that's in front of me Without that person Without that individual on the other end There's no way for somebody to know You have to trial by fire You have to trial and error That's the way it goes And he says that often This is the experience of our lives The Ramchal writes It's for many of us a big maze And sometimes we find ourselves Going in circles And living life Not really understanding what the Ribona Shalom wants from us and we go down this path and we try this and we try that and we try something else not really getting us to the ultimate intended goal. And the only way to do it the only way to have meaning in this experience is to realize that if there's somebody at the end who's calling out to you and telling you which way you're supposed to be headed that's the only way you're going to have meaning out of the experience that you're going through. That somebody at the end is the Ribona Shalom. And he does call out to us and he does tell us which way to go. And he gave us the instructions. Now, many people live through life not wanting to listen to that person at the end. But that person at the end knows what the goal is and knows how to get to the intended goal that's there for all of us. You know, the Medrash wonders, who is selected to be tested? Who is chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be a Bal Nisayim? Not everybody has the same level, the same degree of nisyonos So who is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to choose to be the Baal HaNishayom? And the Medrash gives three general categories. Three general categories that are mentioned, and it presents it in the form of a Mashal. So the Medrash writes the following <clears throat> three Mishalim. You'll notice that all three of them sound very similar to one another. But we'll see in a minute that Nitziv explains a little bit differently what exactly each of these are trying to convey. Number one says the Medrash Amar Abiyonesan, Hayotzer Hazeh. When you think about a Bal Nisayim, when you think about somebody who's going through a difficulty, so you think about it in the following way. Hayotzer Hazeh, you have a manufacturer. You have a craftsman. So he goes out to a show, and he wants to show off his product. People are going to come. They're not familiar with the product, and he wants to give the best opportunity for himself to show his product to those who are potentially going to buy it. So what does he do? He happens to make pots. Now, what kind of pot is he gonna take out into the street by the fair? He's not gonna take something that's too fragile because anything that bangs into it, it's gonna break. So what does he do? He takes the one that is most durable. He takes the pot that he made that is strongest and he goes out into the public square and he shows everybody, look what I have. And once they see how durable it is, they're going to say, well, wow, that's an amazing item. We would love to come shop by you. Once they're in the store, they'll see lots of other things. The Medrash says, that is the Balni Nisayim. Think about that. Medrash then gives a second mashal. Number two says the Medrash, haze. You have somebody who works with flax. And he knows that his flax is of a very fine quality. Now, when he goes out to sell the flax, what does he do right before he has a purchaser who's about to buy it? He combs it again. He takes the flax and he makes sure to bang it, to comb through it, to get all the impurities out of it. And then he'll sell it to the customer. Says the medrash, that is the bal nisayam. Number three writes the medrash, when you have a farmer who has to do a lot of work out in the field, and he has an option of two animals to use, which one is going to go out into the field to do the work? Says the Medrash, you know which animal he's going to choose? The strong, able-bodied animal, the capable animal that's going to be able to actually survive the experience of being out in the heat and doing all this work. He's obviously not going to take the one that's debilitated. He's obviously not going to take the animal that's weak. He's going to take the one that's strong. Says the Medrash, that is what it means to be a Balni Sayon. So what are these three categories? What are these three Mishalim? They sound... Very similar to one another. They sound almost identical. The Nitzv explains in his commentary on Chumash that perhaps this is three different categories of people who are chosen to be Ba'alei Niselya. Number one, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides that he wants to show off to the world what great people there are in this world. So who is he going to choose to bring out to the market? Who is he going to bring to the fair? Who is he going to be to use as his icon, to show the rest of the world, this is what a human being can be. This is what a human being can accomplish. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take the most durable, the strongest, of all the people that he has, and that's the one who's going to be tested. And HaKadosh Baruch is going to show the world, look how this person can even endure what I'm putting on them. And that becomes the icon that people can look up to. It's category number one. Category number two, he says, if you have a person who is almost fine and perfect flax, somebody who is almost fine and perfect wool, before it's given to the customer, what does the proprietor make sure to do? They make sure to comb it out. They make sure to get all imperfections out so that it's absolutely clean and pure. Says the Natsiv, that's the second category of Balani people who are living such exalted lives, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it would be a shame if the Ahar Me'eva Esram Shana, if after 120 years they came and they had a little bit of imperfection, a little bit of impurity, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm just going to comb out the rest, the little bit that they have left. Their lives are so beautiful and perfect. I'm just going to make them as perfect as it can be. That's category number two. Category number three says the Netziv there are some people who HaKadosh Baruch who says are going to carry the burden and the weight of the generation. Why he chooses those people, we don't know. But they have the ability to carry the burden of a generation. And says the Nitzv, sometimes when you confront a Balni Sayon, what you're confronting is a person who carries the weight of an entire generation. So these are the three general categories that are mentioned in Chazal. When we think about Nisionos in general, when you think about why it is that certain people are chosen, why it is that HaKadosh Baruch puts someone in a situation, there are three different categories that the Medrash writes for us to think about, for us to consider. As we said, there are so many different variations of Nisionos that people can have, and each one is its own story, each one is its own journey, each one presents its own particular challenge, for that individual, let's go back to Parshas Beshalach, when the Torah describes a nisayon that the whole Jewish people was confronted with. What was that nisayon? Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "I'm going to give you the man." What are the next words? Everybody has to go out every day and try to gather the man for their family. The whole objective of the man was meant as a test. It was a nisayon. Now I ask you, what exactly is the nisayon of the man? Would you be bothered if you didn't have to work a day in your life and Akhirish Baruch who dropped off at your doorstep everything you can ever need? I would say it sounds like paradise. Who would sign up for a different kind of life? Everything you can ever need is provided for. Not only that, you're living in the Midbar. You have no concerns. It says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided everyone with clothing, with food, with a Be'er Shalmiriam. What's the Nisayim? So the Rishonim struggle to understand what exactly is the nisayon of the Man? Rashi writes the nisayon was, sometimes, You go to a store and they have something on sale and they say, limit two items per customer. And you say, well, two items per customer, maybe I should come back later, maybe I'll have another family member go, how am I gonna figure out how to get more than two items per customer? Why are you so worried? Why are you so concerned? You're concerned because the sale is not gonna last forever. It's not gonna be there tomorrow. So if this item is on sale, I don't wanna be limited to two items per customer. What's gonna be when I run out of my two items? That was the Nisayinah of the month, says Rashi. Nobody knew how much they were going to get, when they were going to get it. And therefore, Rashi says, there was a Nisayinah, Kodesh Baruch who said, only take as much as you need for your family today. Any resp- responsible parent would have gone and taken something for tomorrow also. What am I going to do with my children? What if I wake up in the morning and the miracle has stopped? What do I do then? So Rashi says, that was a Nisayinah. Were you willing to follow the rules? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going to give you a miracle, but you have to follow the rules. You can only take the exact amount that you're supposed to take, and that's it. Can you adhere to the directions? Can you follow what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling you to do? The Ramban expands that a little more, and he says, the Nisayun was, do you actually have on that this is going to happen tomorrow again? Imagine you went to sleep at night and your refrigerator was empty, and you had no idea what you were going to serve your family the next day. Now you're living on a belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised he was going to take care of you. What if he doesn't? What do I do then? So the Ramban says that was a Nisayim. Were people willing to wrap their heads around the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to come through for them? That's a very difficult thing. It's hard for us to understand that. The Arachayim writes, interestingly, the Nisayim was, the fact that the man fell itself was the Nisayim. Because when people don't work, when people have nothing to do, the Nisayon is, how are they going to spend their time? What are they going to do with all this time? You see, when we're busy, we stay out of trouble. When we have nothing to do, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us everything, it's much more complicated. It's a much bigger problem. And the Yarechaim writes, that was the Nisayon HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to see. Now that I'm giving you the man and I'm providing you with everything in the world and you don't have to do a stitch of work in your life and everything is going to be taken care of, the question now becomes, how are you going to spend your time? What are you going to do? Are you going to be able to be an upstanding Jew even when you have nothing else to do? Are you going to be focused on the right things even when you're not busy? That was the Nisayim. Be it as it may, what you see from the Rishonim is... That a Nisayon could have many different forms. And it can present itself to different people in different ways, which is why we daven every morning, Al Yenu Lo Lide Nisayon. Don't ever put us in a position where we should be challenged. You now, last summer, there was a girl in camp who came over to me. I, I always have on Shabbos, we deliberately do it on Shabbos so it's not recorded, because I think I sound like a fool. We always have a open question and answer for the oldest division of the campers. And I find it a terrifying exercise for me to stand in front of them because they ask very real questions. And these kids are old enough to understand what their situation is. They're old enough to remember what life was like before they got sick. And they have a complete understanding of what's going on. So it's very, very difficult. So I gave this talk last year And after I was finished, you know, a lot of very easy questions like, why does God hate us? And why do good things happen to, why do bad things happen to good people? All these very easy questions. So a girl comes over to me after and she says, you know, I don't agree with anything you said. I said, okay. She says, I've been in remission for two and a half years. And I'm healthy. And I daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu every single day that I should get sick again. So I said, why would you daven for such a thing? So she said, because the closeness that I felt to the Rebona Shalom when I was sick and undergoing treatment is a feeling that I miss every day since I'm in remission. Now it's a totally inappropriate tefillah. I told her, "This is what we daven for in the morning." Al Sayon. We don't know how we're going to respond. We don't know how we're going to react if Hakadosh Baruch Hu was to test us, and that's why we ask: Just let life be the way it is. I'll try to be a good person without being tested. Don't put me up for the test. In fact, the Medrash writes, the Gemara talks about it in Sanhedrin. David Amelach, It's a strange discussion, but the Gemara says David Amelach One day, he's David Amelach. He's a great Jew. And one day he turns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, you know, I'm troubled by something. Now, David HaMelech had a lot of things to be troubled by. He had a very difficult life. But the Gemara says he was troubled by one thing. What was he troubled by? He was troubled by the fact that when we start off the Shemona Esrei, we start off by saying, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, eloke Yaakov. David HaMelech says, you're missing someone. It should say, Elokei David. Like, am I not a great person? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are very important personalities, but I'm also pretty important. So, how come the Shemona Esrei doesn't start every day by saying, Ok Avram, LOK Yitzchak, LOK Yaakov, LOK David? That was his question to Akadishbar. The Ribbana Shalom responds to him and says, You know, there's one big difference between them and you. You know what the difference is? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were tested time and again. And they came through being successful on their nacionos. You have never been tested. And therefore, you don't belong in the Shemona You don't belong in that same sentence as Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. David Amelech turns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and says, Okay, so test me. Let's see. Test me and let's see how I do. And the Medrash says that was a major, grave mistake of David Amelech because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Okay, you want to be tested? Let's see how you do. And the Medrash writes, he failed miserably. And that is why he is not in that opening sentence and paragraph of Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. We do not say Elokei David because David Amelach could not hold himself to the test. That's what the Gemara says. That's what the Medrash writes. The point being, you can be as great as David Amelach, but we don't ask for Nisyonos. We don't ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to test us. Life is complicated enough as is we don't ask the Rebonish Shalom to send us more things to make things more complicated than they have to be. It's just not a healthy thing to ask for. So that says the Medrash is an important thing to keep in mind. Now there's a famous saying that God only gives you a test that you can handle. Is that actually true? First of all, it's the most offensive thing to say to someone who's going through. God shows you because he knows how great you are. And he knows you can handle it. It doesn't help people. At least in my experience. It doesn't make people feel good. But is that true? So there's a part that they say from the Kotzker. We say in our davening, "Hanosein shelag sheleg katzamer So the Kotzker said what it means is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu only gives snow based on the amount of wool that you have to cover yourself. han no sheleg katzamer the Reboni Shalom will only put difficulty, adversity in your life if you have something to protect yourself from the adversity. If you have the wherewithal, if you have the strength to be able to uphold whatever it is that he's putting upon you. That's the saying that they say over from the Kutzker. Is that actually true? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu only gives a person an Isayun that they're able to handle. My father has told me in the past that he believes it's not absolutely true. His feeling is, sometimes HaKadosh Baruch gives someone a test where they are unable to pass the test. Now you'll say that's very unfair. It's very unfair. What do you want from me? The answer is, in such a case, I'm not going to be punished. I'm an anus. I can't be at fault for something that I could not have prevented, for something that I could have overcome. So is it true that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives someone an islam that they can handle? Sometimes. Is it true that at times somebody gets an assignment that they cannot handle? Yes. Will they be punished for not handling it? No. So sometimes a person says, what does the Rebun Allah want from me? I can't take this anymore. The answer is, at that point, maybe he doesn't expect you to take it anymore. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know exactly. It's an interesting question. Either way, Rev Hirsch writes in his commentary on Chumash and Sefer Beresh, a very interesting idea. I'm going to end a little early if you... In here I lost my voice. So Rav Hirsch writes, very often Rav Hirsch in his commentary on Chumash deals with the etymology of words. And he tries to figure out what's the connection in the Hebrew language between one word and another that seemed to sound similar or that seem to look similar. So he says, what's the word Nisayon? What does the word Nisayon actually mean? And he says there are two Hebrew words that are awfully similar to the word Nisayon. Number one, he says, the word Naso, which is Nun Samach Ayin. That means traveling on a journey. And he writes that every Nisayon that we have is part of our journey. Look at this week's Parsha, Parsha's Masseh, which is all about the journey of the Jewish people. Going from the beginning, starting from Shibut Mitzrayim, ultimately getting to the promised goal, which was Eretz Yisrael. How many stops and how many obstacles along the way, and how many problems did they have? But all of that is part of the Nisayon, it's part of the Naso. It's part of the journey, the Odyssey, that the Jewish people went through. And that's part of our journey as well. The Nisayon is part of every person's journey. At some point along the way, they have to figure out how to get around that journey and how to do it effectively. But number two, and more importantly, Rav Hirsch writes, it is also strikingly similar to the word naso, which is Nun Sin Aleph, which means to be lifted up. Every time a person has a Nisayon, the objective, as far as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is concerned, is that they should be lifted up. Now, that doesn't always happen. We're not always so elevated and uplifted by nisyonos that we confront. Sometimes we're very depressed and we're hit and we're knocked down and we feel uncomfortable with an Nisayon. But the ultimate goal, says Rav Hirsch, is that that nisayon should be not only part of our journey, but also part of a naso, part of lifting us up, that we should think differently. It's my hope that when people go through some kind of traumatic experience, something traumatic can mean something different for different people. But when you go through a major life-altering experience and you come out on the other side, it's our hope that a person is in some way thinking differently, a person is in some way acting differently, choosing to spend their time differently. I just went to visit someone the other day who had a very traumatic, unexpected medical crisis. And he was telling me how emotionally overwhelmed he is. He can't wrap his head around the fact that this is where he is. Not in a negative sense, in a positive sense. So what do I do now? God decided to save me, why? To keep going on vacations? To keep going to Florida and go golfing all day? Is that all life is for? I have no problem, go to Florida, go golfing, it's great. But life has to be a little bit more than that, something. Is that all the Ribbon Shalom kept me alive for? Just keep living the way I am. And he's having an emotional breakdown from that. Not because of anything bad. It's all good. It's not so. It's seeing there's a higher purpose. It's seeing life is more meaningful than I thought it was. Obviously, there's a reason HaKadosh Baruch decided to save me. There must be something that I'm supposed to do. So what is that? Each person has to understand on their own what that is. But that's what an Isayon means, says Rav Hirsch. An Isayon is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows a person to have that moment of awakening, to have that moment of uplifting themselves, of realizing there's something larger in my life that I have to pay attention to than everything I was doing before. Does it mean, like by Bilam HaRasha, does it mean aborting the mission and turning around and doing something entirely different? doesn't mean like Avraham Avinu moving forward and doing it with enthusiasm, even though there's a river in the way. I don't know. But it means something. A person needs to be thinking differently after going through an Isayon or as they're going through an Isayon. That is all part of the Nassau That's all part of being uplifted. The Abarbanel, in his commentary on Chumash and Sefer Beresh also by Avraham Avinu's Nishyonos, He goes through what the Rambam and the Moron discusses as the very deep philosophical reasoning behind why people are chosen and why people are tested and how exactly it works. So the Rambam gives a very complicated explanation to understand it. To be honest, I I don't fully appreciate it because I don't fully understand it. So that's why I'm not sharing it. It's not because there's anything wrong with the Rambam's words. I just think it's a little bit higher than where I am. But the Abarbanel brings it down a little bit to try to figure out What can we tell people who are going through a Nisayon to try to think about how they can handle and confront and overcome and deal with the Nisayon? And he writes that having the ability to do that is contingent on one critical belief. Writes the Abar without this belief, it is impossible for a person to be able to withstand the Nisayon. Now, what is that? What is that belief? says the Abar as follows. I'm going to read his words. He first brings down the words of the Rambam and the Marnevuchim, one and two, the Rambam says, and then number three he says on his own. He says, we need to believe. The only way to be able to withstand the Nisayon is if you have the following belief. What belief is that? If you don't believe... In the eternal nature of all of our souls, if you don't believe in the concept of schar olam haba, if you have never thought about what is waiting for you after our experience, our finite experience in this world comes to an end, then there's no way that you can ever possibly withstand a Nisaya. Why? Says the Abarbanel. Think about it this way. Think about the life of Avram Avinu. Tremendous nisionos. The crescendo of all of his nisionos was Akedas Yitzchak. Imagine Avram Avinu as he's told, as he's instructed to go sacrifice his son. If he didn't believe in this concept of Schar, Leosid, Levo. Of having some kind of life after this world? Yamaskim Beno Do you think Avramavina would have ever agreed to do this? How could he have agreed? That says the Abarbanel. Maybe he agreed because God came to him and said, Go do this, and he was scared and he had no choice. So he went ahead and he did it because I'm afraid I'm afraid. Says the Abarbanel, what do you mean you're afraid? Is life worth living without your son? Is there, is there any meaning to life if you just killed your son? Avramavina would have said, I don't want life. What do you mean I'm afraid? Let God kill me, I don't care. So you're confronted with the Nisayon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Go, kill your son. Avramavina says, Oh, I'm so afraid. I guess I have to listen because I don't know what God's going to do with me if I don't. What do you mean? Let him do whatever he wants. Let him kill you. Who wants to live after they did that to their child? Says the Abarbanel, the only way Avraham Avinu was able to wrap his head around doing what he was asked to do was because he believed this is not the only life that's here. He believed there's a much larger life waiting for me after the finite time here on this earth. Says the Abarbanel, what does it matter how much money Avramavinu had, how much more time in this world he had, after he murdered his own son with his own two hands. You think there's any purpose to living life after that? So why do you do it? Says the Abarbanel, the only rationale you can have is Tikvaso Bilvad Haskar Hanapshi Ki ba'avuro yizakeh be'or hanitzri. He knew that if I did this, I would get something that's even greater than the experience of having children on this earth. So Avraham waited his whole life to have children. Now he's given a child. Now HaKadosh Baruch says, I'm going to take the child away. The only reason why Avraham would do, would agree to do such a thing is if he knew there's something waiting for him that's greater than the pleasure of having your children here with you in this world. It's the only way, says the Abarbanel, to wrap one's head around Nisyonos. It's only if you build up that belief, that understanding, that there's something much greater, something much more pleasurable, much more enjoyable that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to provide you with when you're finished with this experience. Otherwise, who would want it? What's the point? So says the Abarmanel, That is the only way to understand it. And secondly, and we'll close with this: the Mesilas Yesharim, the Ramchal, who we quoted before, as another critical point. Once again, it's easy to say the words; much, much harder to internalize and incorporate anything that he's saying into the journey of an Isayon. But the Ramchal writes the following: K'dei shaloti yena hatsaros chukim. Koshi umaniya el Hashem. Naturally, he says, a person who is inflicted with Yisurim, with Tzaros, a person who is inflicted with Nisyonos, the natural reaction should be, I hate God. Makes sense. After all, if you believe, ain't old if you believe God runs the world, why would he do this? So it makes a lot of sense. Says the Ramchal, how does a person wrap their head around the fact that I believe in God, and yet I'm not supposed to hate him when he does this to me. How do those two things work together? Which is a very basic and obvious question that anyone should be asking when they go through a difficult challenge. How does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do this to me if he actually loves me? So says the Ramchal, the answer is as follows. If you believe, If you believe, Then he says, the way I think about it is, think about a doctor. Sometimes, a person goes to the hospital with a gangrenous limb. And the doctors are trying to figure out how to treat them. And the only way to treat this person that the septic shock won't spread to the whole body, the only way to treat them is Unfortunately, they have to do an amputation. It's terribly painful. It's going to take months and months of rehabilitation. It's going to change the whole course of my life moving forward. Nothing's ever going to be the same. But when I look back in retrospect, at the time when the person wakes up from that shock, how do they view that doctor? Do they see the doctor as a person... Who has destroyed their life? Or do they see the doctor as a person who has given them another chance at life? So I recently had someone who was in his 90s and he developed an infection in one of his limbs and the family wanted to know, the doctors were talking about, should they amputate, should they not? He was really not well in many different ways and had dementia. And the family wanted to know whether they should go ahead with that amputation. And my father said, Absolutely not. Why would you do that to a person? At 95 years old, you think he's going to be able to learn to rehabilitate himself with all the underlying conditions that he has aside from this? You're destroying this person. Let him be. Just let him be. Let a person go. Is it the right choice to always amputate? No. It depends on the circumstance but the person who's 30 years old and has a whole life ahead of them and the doctor successfully does the procedure and it's painful and it's difficult and it's hard and it seems cruel but you turn around and you see 20 years later how you've been able to live a life how you've been able to move forward how you've been able to continue to have an experience how do you view that doctor? Is that Dr. a Sayach? Is that doctor a murderer? Is that doctor somebody who destroys people's lives? Or is that doctor the one who gave me the opportunity to have life itself? By getting rid of that infection, by taking care of that problem. And yes, it was painful at the time, and it continues to be something I think about all the time. And it's hard and it's difficult. But for the most part, I've been rehabilitated, and I have figured out how to live with the reality that's confronting itself in my life now. That, says the Ramchal, is the way he tried to understand when somebody is, in, is given an Isayam. And he says, if it were up to me, and I was confronting that doctor, I would send them a gift every year. Yosef Avaso, I would send that doctor a gift if I actually thought about it. I would send the doctor a gift every year. There's actually a member of Hatzal in our community who told me that he's delivered, I think, 26 babies. And he said, in all of his years... In all of his years, being a member of a volunteer Hatzalah organization, going on calls all the time, I think he told me he's gotten less than 10 thank you letters in the mail. Amazes me. It amazes me. But if a person were to actually take a step back and think, for a moment, if we weren't so caught up in ourselves, we would think for a moment about this doctor and what he's done, We would send them a gift every year on the anniversary of that moment. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for giving me life. Yosef Ahavaso says the Ramchal, if I looked at it with the right perspective, I wouldn't just tolerate that person in my life. I would love them more for it. I would appreciate them even more for what they did. Says the Ramchal, that's the way I view Nisyonus. I view it as something, I'm not a medical doctor, he says, but I believe that the doctor knows what's best for me. Imagine if on the operating table, a person starts screaming and yelling and saying, no, 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 I really don't have an infection. You misread the x-rays. Let me look at the CAT scan again. You don't know how to read it. Let me see the imaging. The doctor would laugh at them. You don't want us to do it, we won't do it. You'll die from the infection. Whatever you want, it's your choice. At some point, I put my faith in the medical community that they know what they're doing. Do they make mistakes? Yeah, sometimes. We all make mistakes. But I put my faith in them because I know that they have an understanding that's greater than my understanding. That I didn't go to medical school, that I don't have the training they have, that I don't really know how to handle this situation, but they do. And that's the same with Akurish Baruch Hu. Do I understand the medical research, or so to speak, the makeup of our world, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands it? Of course I don't but the same way I put my faith in the doctor and I ask them to do what they think is best for me, that's the way we view our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And sometimes it means he has to do an amputation. Sometimes it means he has to do something that seems so cruel and so, so wrong and so unfitting for somebody who claims to be the one who loves us most. But the answer, says the Ramchal, is if you can come to an understanding and a belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually loves you and is looking out for the best of your interests, then not only will you learn to tolerate Him, but Adarabba, to the contrary, says the Ramchal, Yosef Ahavasu. You will come to even a greater appreciation, a greater understanding and a greater love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu than you ever had. So that he says, is his perspective, is his thought process when one confronts an Isayun. As I said, lots of people have different kinds of nacionos, and people sometimes confront an Isayun very differently as well. Not sure if we should continue this theme a little bit next week. It is the three weeks, the nine days. I know it's a heavy topic, but it's the right kind of thing to talk about now. People should never be judged for how they handle nacionos. So this girl who asked me this question about why God is so abusive to her. So at this point in her life, she's not observant. I can't blame her. She has a very painful and difficult life. And it's interesting. What hurts her so much, and I'm not sharing anything private, she spoke about this publicly. What hurts her is that her parents, who are religious, never asked her about this issue of her not being religious anymore. She said, do they think I'm such a loser that I'm not even worth discussing the issue? Do they think I'm just such a far-gone nothing? Like they worry about the religious standards of the rest of their kids— How come they never brought up the issue with me? Now, the answer to me is obvious, because you're dealing with something much larger than this problem. And they're choosing to focus on getting you to a healthy place instead of focusing on your spirituality right now. So I was reminded a number of years ago, Dr. Palkowitz was in my house. One of the times that Rav Usher Weiss was here, Dr. Pelkowitz wanted to ask him a number of different things. And at the time, he asked him, there was somebody who was struggling with a particular issue. And Dr. Palkowitz said the parents had sent this young person over to him to be helped. Now, there were two different things that he needed to be helped with. One was the issue he was struggling with emotionally. And the other thing was, as a result of the struggle this child decided no longer to be observant. Two different issues. And the parents had asked Dr. Pelkwitz to deal with both problems, to try to address both of them. So Dr. Pelkowitz asked the Shiloh, which one should I focus on first? Should I first focus on the religious issue that he's struggling with? Or should I first be dealing with his emotional issue, which he's struggling with as well? Rav Usher Weiss said something which was so simple, but so profound. He said, have you looked up the research about the suicide rate for people who are dealing with this issue? You know that it's very high. So let me tell you something. If you're not alive, you can't be through. First thing you need to do is make sure the person is emotionally stable, emotionally healthy. A person who's able to live life. Once they're in a position where they can think about living, where they can think positively about living, then we can talk about stage two, which is, will they be religious and observant or not? But if you're not alive, you can't be from. What I told this girl is, the Rambam describes, I think it's the Rambam or the al Halavavos, talk about people who have Choli nefesh and Choli guf. Right? We talk about it in our Tefillah. We ask that HaKadosh Baruch who should bring Refuas HaNefesh or Refuas HaGuf. What does it mean? Are some people who have different kinds of ailments? Sometimes a person has a rufuas haguf that they need, which means they're physically sick. Sometimes they need a rufuas nefesh they're spiritually sick. Lots of people are spiritually sick, spiritually dead, totally disconnected, not interested at all. They feel that Baruch Hu is that abusive spouse. They're trying to figure out how to get out. And the Ramam writes. The major difference between Rufuas Anefesh Choli nefesh, and Choli Aguf is, when somebody is physically sick, the body gives symptoms that we should know to treat them. So you'll spike a fever, that you know to go to the doctor, that you know to take medication. There's an indication that lets us know that we have to deal with a problem. Imagine if we never had symptoms, people would go all of life, or very short lives, not knowing that they need to address a very critical issue that's brewing inside of their body, but we don't see it. Sa'a Baruch did us a favor and he gave us symptoms to allow us to realize and recognize what's happening beneath the surface of something that I can't see on my own. The problem is with the Choli HaNefesh, there is no symptom. And it's something that requires a tremendous amount of self-awareness. If you have a Choli HaNefesh, you have to deal with it, but only once you recognize that you have that problem but if you don't realize you have the problem in the first place you can't address it. And you know, I told her we say in the Asher Yatsar I said I was going to end but I'm almost there. It's all part of the last sentence. So we say in Asher Yatzar, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wouldn't give me a healthy body what does it mean I wouldn't be able to stand before you. So what would be so bad if I was in a wheelchair serving? Well, again it's a different kind of life. But people can live very happy, healthy lives in a wheelchair. So why do we say in Asher Yatza, we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a healthy body and for allowing us to stand. What's the significance of standing? Why don't we say, thank you for giving me a healthy life and allowing me to smell, allowing me to see. So the Mefarshim explain what it means. E'ev shar v'la'amod le'fanecha is really a takeoff of the Pasuk that describes a Kohen. Where we're told that he stands in the Lamo La Sharis. Part of the Avoda is he has to stand while he serves Hakurish Baruch. Hu. Now I'm not a Kohen, and I don't do Avoda in the Besamiddash, but I too have an obligation, La de Sharis, to serve Hakurish Baruch. Hu. That's the objective, that's the mission of my whole life. It's the mission of all of our lives. If Hakurish Baruch Hu doesn't give me a healthy body, Ef Sharla I would not be able to serve you. Why do I want a healthy body? I want a healthy body that I should have the wherewithal to be able to serve you. If I'm going to be busy running to doctors and taking care of all of the physical problems that I'm dealing with, I'm not going to have the bandwidth to serve you. So I ask you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to give me the opportunity, La'amod L'Fanecha, not to physically stand, but to be able to serve you. What it means is, when I have good physical health, I'm able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rav Huttner has such an amazing mushal about something else in the Pachat Yitzchak but I think it's so relevant to this conversation also Rav Huttner writes imagine you have a, a house that goes pitch dark, it's hard to imagine such a thing because we always have streetlights. but think about the last time there was a blackout, it happens every so often and it's pitch dark and you're walking around your house trying to find the people who you love most to make sure everybody's safe And everyone's sleeping, or you think they are. But you're you're a blind person walking through a pitch dark house. You don't know how to find anybody. So what would most people do? Most people would get a flashlight, turn it on, have a little bit of light, walk around the house, and check up on all the people you love most. What if I don't have a flashlight? So what's left for me to do? says Rav Huttner, what's left for me to do is to figure out other ways that I can sense whether somebody's here. So I know that my spouse smells this way. I know they use this kind of soap or they wear this kind of perfume or cologne. I know what they usually smell like. So I'm going to start smelling around the house to see, am I anywhere near the person who I love? I know that this child snores this way. I know that they breathe very heavily, so I'm going to start listening very carefully, very intently, more than I otherwise would have, to see, am I anywhere near this person who I love? And ultimately, I'll find all the people who I need to find. Writes Rav Huttner, what is the difference between those two individuals? What's the difference? Difference is when the sun comes out in the morning, and the house is flooded with light, What have they gained from the experience? What have they walked away with? The person who had the flashlight turns it off. Life moves on. The person who learned to hone in their skills of their sense of smell and their sense of hearing and their sense of touch has walked away with a greater appreciation of the people they love, an appreciation that they never had before. An aspect of that person that I never really thought about. I've grown from the experience. I've learned to appreciate this person more or a different part of who they are that I never really thought about, I never really considered. Sarah so Huttner is describing, he says this world sometimes is one big black mess. It's one experience of having a tremendous blackout. And there's different ways to deal with it. Some people deal with it by turning on a flashlight. I'll go to the doctor. I'll get this intervention, I'll go here, I'll go there. I'll try to circumvent all of the problems and figure out how to deal with them on a one case-by-case basis. What happens is when the lights go on, you've gained nothing from that experience. But if through the experience of darkness, if through the experience of Nisayo, you have learned to appreciate other aspects of this world, other aspects of your life, other aspects of your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, other aspects of his love, if you have figured out how to do that, then when the lights go on in the end, you've come out a stronger, better, healthier, more wholesome person. Because you've learned new skills, new appreciations that you never thought were there. And that, says Rav Huttner, is really the job of a balni sayam. Not just to turn on the flashlight, but to learn how to use other skills, to learn how to use this as an opportunity to think about other things. To think about how I can make my life more wholesome. How I can use this to grow as a general sense of the whole experience, of the whole journey, of the whole Naso, of the whole masseh this week's Parsha. Of the whole journey of every Jew. Which is like the Nesita Shalom writes, all of our journey starts in some kind of Mitzrayim with complications along the way. And the end of our journey is to get to Eretz Yisrael, to get to the Promised Land. That's every person's life. It's that whole journey. Problem is, there are sibuchim along the way. There are complications. There are wrong turns that we make. There's not always a sign on the road that tells us which way to go, which highway to travel on. But that's our job. That's the Baal Nisayam. It's an opportunity. It's a perspective. It's a chance for all of us, not only to turn on the flashlight, but to realize along the way that there are great things. Here we are in Gullus, but there are great things along the way that we should appreciate about this experience. Great things that we can accomplish, great things that we can all do. Great relationships we can make with our Kiddush Baruch Hu and with all those around us. And that, says Rav is part of the experience of being a Jew in exile, of being a Jew in galus. Not only to turn on the flashlight, but also to learn how to hone in on the other parts of our experience as well. And look for those things that can enrich our lives, that can make us more wholesome, that can make us greater people as a whole. And mir leading us to when HaKadosh Baruch Hu will turn on the light, when He'll take us out of that darkness. Oro.